Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep, and more. When couples set out to start a family, they usually have conversations. How many kids do we want? When do we want them? And maybe, if you're particularly advanced, how will we raise them? In a way, these conversations develop an understanding that you're heading into parenthood and all that this entails. But what happens when you weren't a part of those early conversations? What happens when parenthood comes to you because you fall in love with someone who has kids? Lem Zakaria was 28 when she met and fell in love with her partner, who at the time had two children aged four and six, and they are now eight and ten. Hi, Lem. Welcome to Feed, Play, Love. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Oh, no, I'm not meant to say welcome. I'm, welcome. <laughs> I'm meant to say hello. This is, again, because we're out of lockdown and face-to-face. Everything is confusing. It's, it's all upside down. Yeah. So when you met your partner, the mm. first time you met her, did you know she had kids? No. She does that. I, I think this is going to sound in some weird way offensive, but she did not look like she had kids. <laughs> She was just very... She didn't look tired. She, looked, she didn't look tired. She looked very young. So I just assumed... Uh, and she was my student, so I wasn't asking questions as Inappropriate. well. Inappropriate. There's yes, another conversation. There's an, she's five years older than me, and it was a music setting, and it was a community sort of thing. But yes. Um, so no, no uh, dynamics of power going on there. No. So not inappropriate. Not a, it, well, romantic then, shall we say. Very romantic, I would say. Yes, it was sexy as well, I have to say. <laughs> Yeah. Especially because you didn't know she had kids. Exactly. Sorry, not to say that once you have kids, things are less sexy, but mm, mostly Well, they are. actually, I might beg to disagree here. I think really? that for me, it's very attractive when I see a woman, um, you know, dedicate her time for someone else. It shows that they're quite responsible. It shows that they're nurturing, which is actually something you need in a relationship, even in the setting of a, you know, romantic couple. Mm. So it wasn't a turnoff for me, weirdly enough. Like, I think if, if I see a mum and she's an impressive mum, yes. that's sexy to me. Okay. So it wasn't a turnoff. People around me thought that it was weird that I was, like, Interested yeah. and not, not yeah. phased by it. Yeah. And so, I, but how long did it take? So, it, actually, I should ask this question. She was in your class. Was it one of those zing moments I can no, say that because this is a parenting podcast. Yeah, you know, okay. I'm talking about Hotel Transylvania, right? The zing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was there a zing? Um, no, because I had no idea that she was into me. I had no idea that she would be attracted to women. So, I, like, it was four months of her having a crush and me having zero, <laughs> like, clue about it. And then after the four months, um, actually, her ex-partner told me that she liked me. And it was a, a, a guy. And I'm like, what? She's into women? That's crazy. <laughs> and then um, I was like, okay, I'll try to ask her out for a drink. And I did. And then I learned that she has a couple of kids. And I was like, wow. All right. Um, yeah, I didn't think too much of it. I didn't really. I just like to not make judgments and jump into conclusions when I meet people. Because it's all about the connection. After all, that's what you're looking for. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any desire to be a parent at that time in your life? It wasn't in the forefront of my mind, no. I wanted to 
later on in my life, yes, be a parent. Definitely, I thought of it. In fact, when we were like in the relationship the first year, I was like, oh, maybe maybe we can have an, a third child. <laughs> and she is like, I am not going through this again. <laughs> not. Um, but, you know, now that I'm in the thick of it, I understand why. Because yes. now they're eight and ten, we kind of get to spend time together. So if I reset this, it's, you know, our relationship will have to take some strain. And I don't want that right now. And I feel way more fulfilled as a carer and, you know, uh, I can tell you a bit more. I think I'm jumping the gun here, but um, I, th I think of parenting as um, a role rather than an identity. And that is how I've made peace with this dynamic in my life. I That's think. so interesting. I'd love to talk about that a bit more because one of my questions, which you've kind of answered, was when you realized it was serious with your partner, did you ever worry about how the kids would respond to you? Because I mean, I'm not sure how soon you were introduced to them, but um, often that can be something that people think about when they get into a relationship, if they're self-reflective and mature and not just diving straight in, which sounds like that was you. You, were, you weren't making judgments, you were taking it on face value, you're getting to know her. But at the same time, did you guys talk about how you would meet the kids? Yeah, so at the very, very beginning, I was like, I do not want to meet the kids yet. I am freaking out. I cannot. And my concern was like, they're not going to like me. Um, so around, I think, four months after we were dating, we were like, okay, I think we need to like now go to that step and see the kids. But it was in the context of it was her birthday. Uh-huh. Now, I have to say it was like a... I can't swear, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, you can. I'll just put an E on the. Oh, all right, all right. It was it was like a fucking Band-Aid being ripped because I met everyone at once. <laughs> everyone. Her parents, her brother, her uh, everyone and the kids at That's the same time. That's only after four months though. That's pretty big. Yeah, it was. It was pretty big. And, you know, I just I remember ha having the sequin pillow uh, in my lap, drawing some shapes and just taking all my frustrations out on the pillow like, oh, my God, this is so scary. Um, but I remember at the time uh, the 10 year old like who was at the time was six was so he so caught on to me being nervous. And he was like, you say wow a lot. You keep saying wow. Why do you keep saying wow? And I'm like, because I am panicking. Um, but uh, yeah, that was like the first meeting, I think. And it, it was good for me because it just like let, you know, I remember just like standing behind the door trying to meet everyone and everyone's outside. I'm like, come on, come on, psyching myself up to do it. But then um, I think because her ex-partner was in Sydney at the time, they were having, you know, an arrangement that worked for us. Uh, at the time. So it was like, I think, four and five nights and just in between. So I had heaps of time with her without the kids and slowly got introduced to the kids within that context. Uh, but then he decided to move to Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And I just went like, oh. And she was she was completely distraught by that decision, obviously. She was not happy about it at all because she didn't want to lose me. And she was panicking. And at that time, I had formed a secure enough connection to step in, I think. And we talked about it a lot. And I said, you know what? Let's just give this a shot. And I'm going to consider them my roommates. That's how I'm going to treat them. 
How long were you, had you been together when he moved? Maybe like six months, I think. <laughs> Look, it happens faster with women. <laughs> that's I because, think so. That's because you're emotionally developed, right? <laughs> well, hopefully. I hope so. I mean, a lot of people around me were like, be careful. She's carrying baggage. You know, what are you putting yourself into? And you're, you're crazy. Like, I got a lot of friends telling me, like, are you out of your mind? But I'm like, I just feel right about this. So why should I resist it? Because that's what it's about, isn't it? Right? Mm. Like, it's about taking risks. Every time you fall in love, you're taking a risk. So, yeah. And honestly, the kids themselves, <laughs> like the six-year-old is quite an introvert. And the four-year-old is quite an extrovert. And they're quite different. And the introvert, like, took a long time to put me in his trust circle. And I gave him all the time in the world. Like, I did not approach him. I waited for him to approach me. And the extrovert was all over the place, meaning, like, jumping at me, wanting to cuddle, like, everything since the beginning. But also she took a long time to really, like, establish that bond with me. And I think the reason why it did work the way it did is that I kept it organic. I never imposed myself. I even physically try to, when we're around the kids, not sit too close to their mom so they don't feel like I'm replacing anyone. So I was really aware of making it a point that, you know, you have your mom. I am not taking anything from you. Physically, emotionally, like when they call mom and, you know, she's busy, I wouldn't respond because I'm like, I don't want them to feel like I'm replacing her. And then later on, as, you know, she's like, okay, can you help me out with this? On a practical level, I was like, okay, I need to step in now that the, you know, other parent is away. And the way I did it was I framed it and very like openly with the kids saying, I am helping your mom. That is what I'm doing. I am an extension of her. So by that, you establish a bit of a, an authority level to like help her out, really. And you're saying that you're modeling helpfulness as well. So we really like did sit with the kids and we did a lot of check-ins with them. And, you know, constantly the four-year-old was having problems sleeping at night. Um, not really problems, but she was just hard to put down. And then she would like run out of her room and then my partner would have to go in and kind of like carry her into another room so that she, and she'd be kicking and screaming and shouting. And I remember one time I had to do that because <laughs> she told me kids see, feel very safe uh, with boundaries. Yes, that's true. And you have to be able to establish a boundary with her if you want to help me out. Like I cannot do all the heavy lifting by myself now that we're, it was like eight months in, I think. Mm. And I was like, so what do you mean? I, what do I have to do? <laughs> she's like, you have to physically restrain her as she's kicking and screaming if she's not listening you know, for the three times that you tell her, like, go to your bed and she keeps jumping out, you have to, she has to know what you're going to do and you have to be consistent and you have to establish this boundary and tell her, I will carry you to the other room and follow through. Mm, follow I, through. Toughest I, thing in parenting. Yes, <laughs> I did it. Good one. And it broke my heart. Uh. Like, because she was kicking and screaming and, like, was shocked. Like, this, this you know, woman who's been in my life for a bit, but like, what is she doing? Yeah. And she didn't speak to me for like a day. She was a bit upset with me. But, uh, but that bond grew so much since that, you know, moment where I had to set that boundary. And things got much easier helping my partner as well. 
So there were all these situations where it was really difficult and like growing pains really moments mm. where I had to step in and be like, I'm helping your mom right now. I need to put you to bed. And if you don't listen to me what, with what I'm telling you, I need to carry you to the other room. <laughs> all of that. And, you know, yeah, I was crying and crying. And, and my partner's like, don't worry. Like, this is, this is good. Like, she knows you're following through. She can trust you more. Yeah. And you're predictable. So. Which is so, for me, I guess, uh, looking at it from a perspective of when that was my kids doing that, I feel like the one thing that got me through the really hard moments in parenting where you're establishing boundaries, where they're not sleeping, when they're throwing food at the ceiling and your day is disrupted, all the challenging parts of parenting, I felt what got me through was I had no choice but to love them. So I feel like there's this biology at work in that regard, which sounds really callous. I love my children. They're great. But I also feel I have no choice in loving them. It's a biological thing for me. And I often wonder what that experience is like for someone who comes in like you did, fall in love with your partner, um, quite quickly understand that you have to take a more, a, a bigger role in the parenting situation and having to deal with those really tough situations where you fell in love with their mother, but there's no guarantee that you're going to fall in love with them. Yeah. So I'm wondering how you say you approached it all as parenting is a role I'm taking on, but was it extra challenging because you had, you know, you had, you needed time to get to know them and, and love them as you, I know you do now. And I know they're a big part of your life and so important. So I imagine that now the teenage years are going to be a lot easier. <laughs> no, they're not. No, especially that four-year-old. She's grown into a sassy little girl. But yes, um, I get what you mean. And, and fair enough, I think your question is very good. Like, is it really a biological link that shapes our relationships with our kids or is it more than that? And I, oh, not even that. Oh. Not even that because I can see... It, Families take all kinds of shapes and sizes, right? And you love a child regardless. You can. Um, but when it's challenging at yeah. that start and parenthood, whenever you come into it, can be a huge so shock to the system. Yeah. And my point is that when you know you're going to be a parent and you take that on, whether it's mm. biological birth or adoption from babyhood, you have made that choice. Whereas you stepped into yeah, this role. I see what you're and saying. And I'm wondering if that made it. Yeah, I guess I guess the fact that it was organic, very slow developing. I mean, in it, when we talk about the months, you're like, oh my god, that wasn't a lot of months. But <laughs> actually, in in the while we're living through it, it was actually because I moved in, let's say February, and this started happening around June. Um, and I think what I was going through was learning through trial and error that. The more I, I face these difficult situations and come out of them, the better my relationship becomes with the kids. And how I handle them is really indicative of the outcome. And I think, you know, the first few times I was so scared that I was going to just sever that bond because I had to be a bit, I would say, firm. Um, but yeah, so trial and error reinforced the notion that these difficult situations are actually crucial to parenting. 
That's A. And B, my partner was so supportive and she's so educated as well on parenting. And, and like I, I learned so much from her. She says she learns from me, which is awesome because I studied psychology as well. So I also, you know, part of me was a bit of, <laughs> they weren't like guinea pigs, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, I, I really got involved with like rewards charts and, and, you know, positive reinforcement and was able to, I love child development. I also worked in like child centers. So I, I loved kids. So it was easier for me to, you know, get involved in that setting. But I really, it was a passion of mine, like, and it was a challenge that kind of excited me, weirdly enough. It wasn't something that was like, oh, I, I, I don't, like, I did have moments where I went, I can't do this. This is so fucking difficult. Mm. But yeah, I think the challenge, her support, how beautiful they were with me, you know, and like, there's, it's so unconditional, their love. And you don't, you never feel that with, Anything but dogs, maybe. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you. Sorry to like compare dogs with humans. Well, actually, but... I wanted a dog because I figured that it would at least um, not give me fe- like feedback. <laughs> it would just, <laughs> it would just love me and follow me wherever. Yeah. Whereas my children, often, you know, yeah. my son has a habit of um, if you make a dinner, he does doesn't like. He'll put his thumb down. Like he does thumbs oh. up and thumbs down on dinner. Yeah, dogs okay. don't do that. Yeah, just don't they do just that. eat it. Oh man, they're but... happy to be fed. The six-year-old is also like, I would say, neurodiverse. And he was so difficult with his tantrums. Even at six, he would throw massive tantrums. And I never saw something like that. Because he would actually be, you know, overstimulated or, yeah, he'd get frustrated and he wouldn't be able to, to express himself. And to be honest... When I first saw it, I'm like, oh, my God, that is scary. And she sensed that I was scared. But at that moment, I think um, there was one instance where he was quite, I would say, aggressive with his mom. And I couldn't help it as her partner. I just, like, stepped in and I said, you do not speak like that to your mom. Like, don't. Mm. You're just disrespecting another human. Like, yeah. I cannot stand by and watch this. Yeah. And he was like, whoa. So in that moment, I did take my, some of my culture. So I took a lot of things that my mom did and threw them in the bin, which w- included yelling and getting like angry over things and sometimes being unpredictable and tried to take some of the really good things that she taught me, which was like, you do not disrespect. It's a red line. And I carry that around with me. They know that with me. Like that is the most important thing. Kindness and respect and honesty are like our three values. And I have like built a whole system. But I think when he saw that I'm defending his mom as well, he grew, he grew closer to me as well. Even though he was the transgressor in that instance. Yes. But he saw that, oh, she has this, um, she's introducing this element of respect in the house and he resonated with that. And it's another boundary. That was another boundary. Yes, it was. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I, you know, as we, as we are going through this, I get moments where I'm like, oh man, I wish I don't affect them negatively. Like that would be, I think every parent thinks that, but I'm like, maybe I'm doing something that they're going to just grow up and be like, Lem used to do this. And, you know, and she <laughs> used to put like pretzels instead of crackers in my lunchbox, or I don't know what they would be thinking of, but. I really, really, really hope 
that at least with the respect and kindness, which I'm hammering into them on a daily basis, even when they answer anything, I'm like, you can express your opinion, just have to be respectful. And because I studied psychology, I have this ability to hone in on certain behaviors and just like, you know, just hammer through. And I I'm kind of want you to come to my house. <laughs> Because boundaries are really hard to set with children. And as you say, I think particularly for step-parents, boundaries are super important for your own mental health. But also it's kind of, it would be hard because, if, you know, you feel that you don't, you want children to love you. You want them to like you. You want things to be easy. And boundaries are none of those. They're not easy. They're not necessarily going to make a child like you but they're so important for kids so they actually are, yeah. just put them in place as a step parent I imagine would be really hard oh it took so long it took I think it it took around a year and a half of living with them to get to that stage I did not jump into that stage at all like I waited for it to be organic for us you know and it started from practical things like I need to do this can you handle them for a little bit like she only left me alone with them yeah after a year and a half of us living together so there was nothing I felt that was rushed so that really I think played a role in them feeling secure as well because I only stepped in when they felt secure and the stepping in was so gradual so gradual um and you know with what you were saying about boundaries I find it interesting because I think that the reason why we and from my like little experience that I've had with them, the reason why we struggle with boundaries is sometimes it can be fused in with a pathology of power. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we can get into a power trip. Yes. And kids can sense that. Yep. And it's really hard to, to differentiate between being authoritarian and being disciplinary. And one of the things that my partners told me that I really took on was pick your battles with them. Mm -hmm. You know, yes. like if they if they're not going to wear their socks right now, let them actually go to school without socks and let them suffer with a consequence. They're going to come back and their feet are going to hurt them. And that's not a hill to die on. When's the hill to die on is when we're about to leave the door and they need to actually come with us. That's the hill to die on. So when you pick your moments to, and pick the boundaries and also like choose periods of time to focus on one thing rather than just like everything which happens to me when I'm stressed and I'm in lockdown. Um, <laughs> so honing in on specific things and taking that step back, A, shows them that it's not about a power control because they can see that you're just honing in on one thing. And B, it helps you focus as, as you're parenting and know what you need to work on. And I think C, it develops a healthier relationship because you're not, yeah, you're not just, displaying your authority you're being logical you're like this is what I require of you this is why yeah and I'm going to keep following up with you on this and if you actually sit down and treat them like they're adults I do like that with them except like obviously in inappropriate things but I talk to them like they're adults I don't talk to them like they're kids yeah and the one downside of this is that when they're at school they struggle to follow instruction without knowing why that would be the only thing. But then I, again, I'm like, is that such a bad thing? Like, Yeah. Well, it means it keeps the, the teachers on their toes. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering with all of this, the other part of having a blended family um, is the whole co-parenting thing, whether you're 
co-parenting with your partner and they're your stepkids or you're co-parenting with their partner and their ex. You mentioned that the ex-partner had moved and so was you needed to be more step up to the plate. How has that journey been with the kids? Because sometimes when the uh, care is shared 50-50 between the ex-partner and the, the main carer, that can be actually challenging for a child. How often do the kids move between homes and, and what's that been like? So it's an 80-20 arrangement and they only see him in school holidays. So because it's that set up, it really helps, I think, them separate between the two environments because they're spending the majority of the time with us. Then they go with dad and it's such a fun time and there's no like routine per se and they get that break from my routines <laughs> and they come back. But yeah, like also the co-parenting stuff. Naturally, my partner and I like started having a rhythm. I'll come back to the partner. But naturally, we started having this way of approaching things where I'm like the micro person and she's the macro person. Mm -hmm. She's the one who looks at the overall picture. She's the one who makes the big decisions and all of that stuff. And I'm the one who's like trying to behaviorally modify the child not to put his shoes in the middle of the hallway, <laughs> trying to find ways to get this behavior to become extinct, you know, like, <laughs> ha have you worked that out yet? Cause we all yes. want to know. <laughs> yes, actually. Um, I have, uh, like behavioral charts are incredible, incredible. Like I swear by them because I've been doing them for three years with them and, um, they get rewards and bonuses at the end of the week if they actually get everything. And one of the entries is morning routine and one is evening routine and it's a list. Yeah. So we wake up in the morning and we tell them we're leaving in half an hour and they need to go through that to get their sticker. And so we don't do anything. Wow. So we just tell them like, we're leaving in half an hour and they empty the dishwasher, they brush their teeth, they get dressed, they make their own breakfast, everything. <laughs> and I'm like, I hope they don't find out from other kids that that's not what they do because they'll be like, you used to make me do these routines. I'm like, yeah, but I used to buy you rewards every week. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, I think with the ex, I think the fact, I sometimes wonder whether because I'm a woman, whether there wasn't that space to compare and like, you know, oh, you know, she took over. They do now call me stepmom. And it only happened in the context of them introducing me to their friends because their friends are like, who's she? Who's this brown lady? You know, like, because they're all blonde and I'm like this brown girl coming in. Like, she can't be your mom um, with blue eyes and everything. And I'll be like, oh, and I left it to the kid to explain who I was. And they, they started using the term stepmom. So I did not impose it on myself, but they started using that word. And I think in their head, they just, they're comfortable with that. So if they change their minds about it, I'm never going to take it personally because, again, it's not about us. It's about them. But, yeah, with the, with the ex-partner, him moving away and being able to have that uh, time with the kids away from all the environment that we're in was actually quite beneficial for the kids as well. Mm. Um, so you don't have to worry about that. They go off and they're like, all right, you go off. Have fun with that. And, yeah, they come back. They're quite happy. They've had a break. Yeah. 
that I think it just works out really well. Now, I don't know if we've been talking about it and we're like, if they grow up now a little bit and they're like, we want to spend school holidays with our friends, we have to rethink the arrangements. But for the time being, they don't compare me to him. They don't see me as taking a space. And also, I, by the way, five hours into this interview, I do live with uh, my partner's best friend and her kids. So we're like eight people in the house. Wow. So we're like me, uh, her best friend, her partner who's now moved in, her 15-year-old and her four-year-old. Holy moly. Yeah. <laughs> and she had just gone out of the divorce oh when we moved God. in together. But that, what a combination. Yeah, a I four-year-old know. and a teenager. I know. Yeah, exactly. Ah! Exactly. She is not going through the best time right now with oh, her. Oh, God, I can imagine. Her first going into kindy and oh. her teenager going properly teenager. Poor woman. So oh, wow. this, this is what community living offers, really, because we're always supporting each other. We get, we get date nights every Tuesday. She get date, date nights every Wednesday. So I, yeah, we, we kind of have this living situation where the kids have, I mean, isn't it the saying, you know, it takes a village oh, to raise God, a child? Yes. I really believe in that because yeah. it's not about how many people are around them. Like you shouldn't restrict the number, I think. That's my opinion. I think it's more about like how many genuine, secure connections can a child form with people that they trust doesn't mm. matter if it's 10 or if it's one. The more, the merrier. So they do trust their dad. They do trust me. They do trust their mom. They do trust her friend. They love the other kids. Um, so I think they've... And it's more fun. It is more fun. Like and, it's great yeah. to have, like you definitely want your kids to have uh, an alternative to you in terms of who they trust. Yeah. But every time I've had an experience, whether it's been going away or if it's just getting together with girlfriends and making dinner and the kids are around, it is always more fun. Yeah, I When agree. you're doing it together. When you're on your own and it, the proverbial's hitting the fan, you've got no one to look at and go, hi, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah, I agree. And, and to be honest, because we're in a same-sex relationship, we had to build the co-parenting from scratch we had to there was no gender bias to come in and tinker with what we're building and so we were able really to make it very very equal like I do mornings she does evenings because it just works for us I'm a morning person she is not Um, (laughs) and you know uh, the kids also yeah kind of know who to go to about different things yeah so it's very equal between us and it did it did take me a bit of a of time to be like, well, I sacrificed for you. So you should be doing more for me. I had that like hero um, complex. We went to couples therapy and uh, there was a cultural difference because from in my culture, this is unheard of, like unheard of what's happening. Like to be with a woman, A, to be with a divorced woman, B, to be with a woman with kids, C, I've broken everything. So (laughs) um, I had to go through therapy and with couples therapy, and we've just graduated, by the way, which we're very happy about. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, (laughs) And we never had issues with like, well, I do the dishes and you don't. Like never, we had none of that. But we did have, you know, that, that idea of like, well, if I'm doing this, then you should be doing that or like that kind of, reciprocity we didn't really hash it out properly on an emotional level and we were able to I think and I had to understand that Australian culture is about tag teaming Mm. it's about if you're stepping in you're properly stepping in you have to be responsible so I had to adjust my expectations for myself 
And I'm like, nobody's going to give me a reward for what I'm doing. It's the kids who are the reward, you know. Oh my God, you're so, so selling same-sex relationships here. <laughs> <laughs> I am and I will and this is my ulterior motive. <laughs> this is going to change the world. Yeah. I could talk to you all day. Unfortunately, I can't. Lem, thank you so much for no. chatting with us today. It was lovely, Siobhan. Thank you. That was Lem Zakaria and she was talking about what it's like to be a step-parent. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time. Listener.